Warning, this podcast may contain graphic and triggering content. Please listen at your own risk. Each individual struggle is different and everyone's recovery and healing journey is different. Please reach out to a certified medical professional if you need help. Welcome to episode 36 of Stomp the Stigma, the podcast aimed to fight the stigma surrounding mental health through education, awareness, experiences, stories, resources, and the vulnerable truth. Joining me to Stomp the Stigma today is J.D. Lewis. He's a local radio personality, and you might know him from the morning show on CJ92. You can catch him on air every Monday to Friday from 5 to 10 a.m., And today he's here to share his story and his journey through anxiety and depression. This is going to be a two-part episode. So today's episode will be part one, and we get into a little bit of the nature versus nurture debate and how he related to his dad's dark thoughts and felt a little less alone in his own. We talked a bit about how he had to deal with it as a kid, growing up, pushing people away, and how he learned how to weed out the toxic people in his life and find a good support system. We also get into a little bit about how his challenges have changed his friendships and relationships, sometimes for the better, what his anxiety feels like, what that looks like on a daily basis, and how he manages that every single day. So I hope you guys love this episode. Tune in again next week for part two. Great to meet you, Elena. Thank you for having me, by the way. I appreciate you, uh, you reaching out. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. I'm so excited to talk to you. I know I've seen um, a little bit of your posts on Instagram, but I don't know anything about your story, really, just that you have one. And uh, I'm excited to hear about it because I think that we can uh, relate to each other quite a bit, actually. Okay, well, to kick off, um, I really want to thank you for joining me in the first place. Because of your profession, you have such a large platform and you're so open to sharing your struggles with the world and being kind of open and honest and vulnerable with your whole audience so I really want to thank you for starting that and um, kind of putting your story out there in the first place which is how I kind of found you so so thank you and thank you for joining me thank you for having me I I always figured that you know there's no sense in having a platform if you're not trying to do some good with it so that was that was always kind of the thinking behind just being you know transparent about it and willing to talk about it is if, if you're going to have a platform um it can't be self-serving you have to try and do, do some good so oh i love that i love that well i don't know anything about your story just kind of that you have one to share um so this is going to be like a very big broad question kind of but can you kind of take us through your whole journey up to this point I know that's like that's asking a lot um but do you kind of remember I guess the beginning when you realized that you maybe had mental health challenges or were experiencing things that were maybe different from everyone else around you I think keep in mind like my memory is really really shoddy so it might have come before this but you know the nearest I can remember um it was, it was probably around junior high. I changed schools um, at the end of the sixth grade, and I went from like a really conservative, restricted uh, Christian school in a small town to a Catholic school, which doesn't sound like a wild transition when you tell people you went from Christian to Catholic. They're yeah. like, so what changed? Like the prayers were a little different. But 
if you knew how how hyper conservative the Christian school was, and and just you know what kind of a kid that makes you, um, and then if you saw what the Catholic school looked at looked like by comparison, I really felt like I was rolling up on prison. I was like, I should have brought a shank or something like that. And I remember that making me unbelievably anxious. Um, so maybe that's not the first time, but like, it's the first like really vivid memory I have was just that, that being a really hard transition to make. And it not only being a really anxious time, but it, at times having to start over without much of a friend group, um, at the new spot, I, I remember that making me really sad. Um, so that would, that would probably be the roots of, of the anxiety and the depression. Um, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't grow up hard to be honest. Like I, you know, I, I didn't find myself wanting or needing very often. I had great parents, a great family, uh, a killer support system, just a dude that I think by and large, um, for the majority, at least in my adult life, I've just found myself to have like a little bit of a lean towards the sad or the scared. Um, and I didn't pick it and it's tremendously inconvenient, um, at the absolute best of times, but it's it's kind of your lot. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the hand you're dealt and you, you make the best of it. Um, as I got into, you know, like later teenage years and, and, and being a young adult, um, it started to kind of like morph a little bit into, into substance abuse to a degree. I really, I really grappled with that in my early twenties. Um, it's, uh, the anxiety and the depression really started to kind of eat it at a lot of the, the best stuff in my life. Like I said, you know, I, I've always considered myself very, very fortunate, very grateful, very blessed. Um, but that doesn't mean all those blessings and all those things you're grateful for are like safe or sheltered from the ugly shit that goes on up in your head. And I think I just started to see that that mental health um, start to erode and, and take its toll on some of the best stuff when I was in my early 20s. You know, it affected me personally and professionally. And it got it got real bad at various intervals. But I think... I think one of the, the biggest light bulb moments I had, and I don't, I don't remember it being a specific moment in time, just a general sentiment, was you just start to realize that, like, this is how it's going to be, and it's, it's on you to deal with it and to try to make the best of it and, and to try to just manage it. You know, you, you, you kind of get done with waiting for it to go away or hoping, like, hell, it'll go away, and instead you just kind of start managing. You're like, okay, this is, this is me. This is, this is my journey, to borrow your term. And it's like, you know, I, I kind of got two options here. I could wave the white flag and give up and just and just hand the keys over um, to a brain that's occasionally sick, uh, or I can fight this thing like hell and and give it hell. You know, and yeah. and just try to make the absolute best of it and try to not just survive but but thrive. So, yeah. oh my gosh, I completely agree with that. Um, growing up, kind of waiting for something to change or hoping that something's going to change and then eventually kind of embracing the fact that no this is who you are this is a part of you and you kind of have to like learn how to deal with it and manage it yourself yeah i totally it's, get that it's interesting how how to and maybe and anybody who probably you know isn't or hasn't been sick in the head at any point in time probably doesn't understand this um but those that do well you know, it's like riding that wave is, is also a part of what makes what makes you great. Um, and it's part of what makes some of the things in your life great. You know, like it, without those extreme lows, like the highs wouldn't be wouldn't be so euphoric. You wouldn't appreciate them for what you are. And the best parts of you, unfortunately, kind of come with that trade off. I always I've, mm -hmm. that's that's some of the, I guess, relief I've, I've come to find in it. If, it. if it gets real bad or it gets real low, I remind myself, I'm like, yeah, 
you know, you got a brain that'll tilt that way, but also like you, you also feel the good stuff way more almost like with yeah. a, with a really finely tuned, you know, emotional keel like that. Yeah. It's hard to explain to people that don't experience that, but I totally, I get the crazy emotional waves and, yeah. and I feel things, I think more intensely than most people. Totally. It's a blessing and a curse. It's like the definition of a blessing and a curse. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's kind of this big debate about whether mental health struggles are attributed to that nature versus nurture kind of um, environment. And like you said, you had a great um, home life, childhood, family life. Um, So in your case, do you think that your struggles are more attributed to, I don't know, the way you were born or the way that your brain was wired versus kind of the environment that you grew up in? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I, I guess like a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, yeah. if that's not like too much of a cop-out answer. Like I'll give you an example of how, how I think it is just kind of nature. Um, I see this hereditary, like a pretty good chunk of it. You know, my, my dad, um, has always been like, like pretty open about the fact he, he struggles with, with some kind of chronic sadness too. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit anxious from time to time. Um, and I, and I think I got it from my dad. I don't hold it against him. He, you know, he wouldn't have wished it on me if, you know, if, if he'd had a choice in the matter, but, um, I think I probably used to think that it was things around me that were making me sad. Um, or that, you know, it was something, it was something intrinsically wrong with me in the way I was coming at things. And then I remember being 19, I think I was, I wasn't very old. Yeah. And I, uh, I really started to deal with suicidal thought like that. That was really starting to, you know, just kind of leak into my day to day. It wasn't just like a low point thing. It was like, this was just showing up way more often than I was comfortable with, you know, these, these whispers in your head to, to just, you know, end it. And I wound up telling my dad about that. And, and I didn't know the extent of, of dad's struggles or, or, or dad's journey really up, you know, up until then. And he had told me about how a few years prior to that, he'd been quite sick um, to the point where he'd been off, off work for the better part of two years on disability and was sleeping like 17, 18 hours a day. Doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. Uh, and it was like, a re- you know, it was a really scary time for not only for him, but for our entire family, obviously. And uh, dad went to doctor after doctor and just, and just didn't get the answers. And when I had told him that I was having like these, you know, these really dark thoughts, he referenced back to that point of time in his life and said, you know, there was a time they were leaving a doctor's appointment in Calgary, uh, my mom and him, and they had stopped in Airdrie to get gas just off the highway there. Mom was filling the car up. Dad, uh, went for just like a little bit of a walk to get a little bit of a breath of fresh air, walked up alongside the highway and had like this unbelievable urge, uh, to step into traffic. And like, that's, that's a really hard thing to hear your dad say, but as much as it sounds like it would be like a real bummer thing to hear, there was like this crazy, like wave of relief that just kind of washed over me in that moment because I was like, Oh shit, you too, dad. You know, it was like, as soon as I heard it from another guy, I was like, okay, like you're my hero and I, and, and you're infallible as my dad. I just think you're like the toughest, strongest, you know, greatest dude ever. So if it's happening to you, well, it's like a little more normal that it's happening to your boy, you know, and it's, and it's less scary immediately. So, but weirdly, I think that was kind of like the first time I became cognizant of the fact that like, whatever you want to call it, like a, like an imbalance of chemicals up in the head or just, just a general lean towards dark versus light at times. 
Um, it really can just be something someone's born with or something that starts happening to you at some point in life. And it can just be your body, you know, mm-hmm. it can be physical and it can just be the way I always think wired is such a cop out term, but it, it can be the way you're wired, you know? Yeah. And I think I realized it in that moment and came to think like, yeah, you know what? A, a big chunk of that is just, is just nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would lean more nature versus nurture. That's a long way of saying that. <laughs> That's crazy that you brought up um, stepping into traffic because I get that all the time when I'm driving, actually. I always, I something pops into my head where I want to just cross that center line into oncoming traffic for some reason. And I've always kind of wondered, like, is this normal? Does this happen to everyone? And yeah, that's crazy that you bring that up. Did you notice that when you first started driving? Because it's funny you say that. I remember that from when I first started learning to operate a motor vehicle. I would have this, like, you know, this crazy, like, just train of thought that would pop up from time to time as you're first learning to operate the vehicle. Yeah. You're like, geez, I could really just, like, oh, you know, and, and something terrible would happen. And it was just this this moment of, like, crazy, scary awareness. I don't think I got it, like, any more intensely when I first started driving than I do now. Maybe a little more often than I do now, but I think that's just because I I kind of realize like what's happening. But yeah, I don't know if that was just from like learning how to drive. Right. Right. Yeah. You also brought up um, kind of bringing. How did you phrase it? Like bringing, uh, bringing it onto yourself. Like when you're younger. Um, I don't know if you ever got this, but I always felt like. I didn't really belong at school or people at school like didn't want me there. And so I think I kind of self-sabotaged and and pushed people away because I thought that they didn't want me around and they didn't want to be my friend and like they didn't have fun with me or whatever. And so I kind of broke off a bunch of friendships that maybe could have been like really good. Did that happen to you at all? Yeah, totally. You know, I think, I think, I think isolation can be really hard on a kid, you know, change and turbulence that that's hard on a kid, but you know, like being lonely can just, can be really hard yeah. on, on a kid in, in, in formative years. Um, I definitely remember pulling away for sure. I'm a, I'm a chronic self-sabotager. It's, yeah. So I, I feel yeah. you there. I, my brain will try to wreck almost everything if I don't constantly <laughs> keep checking on it to make sure it's not setting shit on fire. So, so I get that. I do. And, and I remember, you know, just Sometimes you just like, you feel so, so out of the loop, so behind, so alone, whatever you want to call it, that you're like, I can never catch up. I couldn't. So it would just be easier for me to retreat within. There's safety within, right? I can control those variables. Yeah. Um, and I think I know to think that now. I, I didn't call it what it was at the time, but I can remember a lot of retreating within um, and just having like a lot of time by myself. Some of it was self-manufactured. Other was just, others was, it was just kind of the circumstances. Um the way I grew up, you know, like rurally and like I said, changing schools and a bit of a change in friend group and all that. But yeah, I, I think, I think that's, that's absolutely a thing. Totally. Mm-hmm. Did your kind of friends and family always know that this was going on with you or did you kind of hide that for a while? Cause I know a lot of no. people do. I hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, because you know, like we were saying before we started there, it was, you know, we're fortunate now that we get to talk. Yeah. Like being granted that latitude, like is 
is such a relief to me personally that even you and I can be having this conversation because I, I, it's not hard for me and I'm assuming for you too to hearken back to a time where we couldn't, yeah. you know, where, where if you look somebody in the eye and you're like, Hey, um, my head isn't great. Like they, they just, there was like no bandwidth to, to understand that or to entertain it as like a, a vein of conversation. Um, which made a, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're dealing with that, if you, if you're feeling that way, it makes you feel even more alone, yeah. right? You're like alone. And like, to be honest, like really effed up, like you're like, well, geez, I'm really on an Island here. Hey. And it's yeah. a pretty sad Island. Like this sucks. Um, so no, I, I, I definitely, in addition to lying to myself, I lied to a lot of people for a long time until, you know, I started to, to realize I already had people around me um, that were were a safe space and, and a support group and, and that they were there to hear it, even if they didn't understand it. And then also, like over time, you start to weed out people who don't grant you that bandwidth, yeah. right? You go yeah. like, well, if you're not here for that and you're only here for the good shit, like get out. <laughs> um, and you also seek out, you know, similarly, I don't want to say like tortured souls or anything like that, but the minute somebody cops to you like, hey, like sometimes my head isn't great. You're like, oh, well, we, we got a lot to talk about you and me, you know, like let's be friends. And, and you start to seek that out. I think mm. people that understand your shit, because when you have people like that in your corner, yeah. like people that either understand it or are willing to try to understand it, you immediately feel way more comfortable sharing and you're just in a better space, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. Um. Everyone's, uh, I don't know what you call, I call it a coming out story, but it's not really. But the way that you kind of reveal your mental health struggles or those challenges and that side of you with your close circle, that is different for everyone. Um, So like, was that kind of process hard for you? And did that affect any of your friendships or relationships when you kind of ultimately decided to show that side of yourself? I think it just, you know, what, what we sometimes forget, because when we're hesitant to share our story like that, is like some of the light it can shed on the way that we act, right? Because yeah. like some of the stuff you'll do when, when your brain's wild and out, like can really make you seem like an asshole, for lack of a more eloquent term. So, yeah. you know, I think for, for a lot of the people close to me, it was like when I started talking about it, they started going like, also, oh, that's why you act that way. That's why you do that thing that you do, right? And it's like, it's not like they were ever holding it against you, but it just, it's a little bit of like a a light bulb moment and it just starts to kind of like connect some dots for people. If that mm. makes sense. I mean, it always made sense in your head, right? You're like, I act this way because I feel this way, but without telling people you're feeling that way, all they see is the action. And oftentimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it really, it, it helped a lot. Um, I don't know that I, I lost a lot of people because they ditched me. Um, I think back to what I was saying before. I think, I think I just ditched some people that I just mm-hmm. saw were, were bad for the bucket. I do think it was, you know, it was interesting how initially it wasn't even really by design that I started talking about it so candidly and so openly and so frequently. Um, and then we were, I don't want to say we were forced to with work, but, you know, working for Bell, we, we have Bell Let's Talk, obviously. And, you know, I've been with the company long enough to remember, like, the roots of Bell Let's Talk. I remember the first Bell Let's Talk day. And I just, like, see where it's gone over the course of, you know, what's over 10 years now, if I remember correctly. I not only see how far the whole movement has come, I see like where my dialogue has come. And it was kind of like, initially they said like, share whatever you want. And I wasn't comfortable sharing hardly anything. So I would just speak in vagities. And then like year over year, as we had different incarnations of Bell Let's Talk Day, I I just became more comfortable. And I started to realize people were receptive to kind of hearing 
what I was going through and it just got incrementally easier. You know, like it's, it's a real testament to the more we talk, um, the more good comes of it, you know, and the more we talk, the more comfortable we feel talking the next time. Yes. I, I did the same thing actually. Every Bell Let's Talk day, I always share like a little piece of my story on my Facebook page or, or Instagram or whatever. And over the years, yeah, you get more comfortable sharing more and more. And like, I remember the first few years when you're like, okay, how much can other people handle? Like, I feel like I'm one of the very few people that struggle with this. So for other people to kind of hear what's going on, they might not take it very well. But now it's like, oh, I'll talk about anything and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you every detail of what's going on. And I actually started this podcast on Bell Let's Talk Day this year. Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you. Um, do you think that anxiety is something that you are going to deal with for the rest of your life? Yeah. 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 Sucks. But um, there's just like, yeah, I mean, that's that, that's just part of my lot, you know. Um, and anybody, anybody who's anxious knows that, you know, yeah. that like, I, to be honest, like I just – it's like the, it's the hardest slap in the face, but it's immediately followed by like this weird, like little wash of relief. You know, it's, it's a slap in the face to, to realize like, man, like this, this thing that like has the ability to, to just kind of grab the wheel, um, and drive for a while until it decides it's done or until I find a way to kind of like take the wheel back. Like that sucks, you know? And, and, that, and that's a real bummer because you look at other people who are, you know, who don't deal with that, who are playing with a full deck of cards and, and you, you feel a little gypped. You feel like it's, it's a little unfair and you're like, I gotta, I gotta live a whole life like this. Like yeah. y- y- the rest of you don't understand how miserable this can be from yeah. time to time, you know, but at the same time, it's almost, it's also like just, just admitting that it's like, it's going to be an ongoing part of your struggle and just like something you're going to have to learn how to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and something you can triumph in the face of, to be honest, like that you're not fully out of control. Like, yeah, it sucks. And like, it can get really, really hard, but you can make it easier on yourself and you can fill your toolbox with all kinds of stuff to, you know, combat the, the shitty when it gets really shitty. So yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's, it's a permanent thing. It'll never go away, but I also know like how to handle it way better than I did even two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just, it gets, it gets better over time the more you work on it. So it's like a, it's a weird thing to kind of like, you know, recognize a shortcoming like that, but also f- realize that just noting it, awareness of is like such a big step. Yeah. Is that something that you have to deal with every single day? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, it like, it flares up in like different areas of my life though. Yeah. Like I, I think I, I used to remember like anxiety only lived like here. Yeah. You know, in just like this little box. And if, if I didn't go in the box, I was okay. And then like it, it over, I don't know. It just, it just like, it can just pop up literally anywhere. The dumbest stuff will still make me anxious. Um, and, and I think that's just kind of the nature of it. And, and I, I think that can be a little disconcerting, you know, going about everyday life, not knowing what's going to happen and make you really anxious. But, you know, it's also like, it's neat that back to the toolbox analogy, you can have all of these things at your disposal that, you know, work to pacify your anxiety. So if, if it gets really bad out of nowhere, you can go, Oh, that's a lot, but we have a tool for this. You know, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's neat to be able to arm yourself with stuff like that. Just to, just to kind of be able to ward off the anxiety whenever and wherever possible. Yeah. Yeah. 
So for people that don't have anxiety or don't understand kind of what that is like, how does that feel for you? Like, what does that look like for you when you get anxious? What happens to you? So it's so interesting Interesting you say that because I only became aware of the fact that it's different physically for almost everybody yeah. uh, a year or two ago. I, I thought we all felt the same things when we were anxious. So I love that question. Um, I think it's like two things. If it's overarching anxiety, like just a gradual anxiety about a topic or, or something like that, or just, just a setting that's making me like generally anxious, I get it as like a, like a dull ache, um, usually like my middle back or like in my shoulders. I, I can just feel myself like tense, if that makes sense. That, that's like the physical reaction. Um, if it's like something suddenly anxious that just like wigs me right out, almost bordering on a panic attack, um, that's like... That's like being in a haunted house. Like, remember, you go to a really scary haunted house, like not one of those like lame chintzy ones, like the, the one they used to do up at COP, whatever that one was called. Um, you'd go to that one and you'd like, you'd get about halfway through and you're like, I just want to be done. I don't want to do this anymore. I have been adequately scared and I want to leave now, but there's no exit. And you know, the only way out is forward and it's only going to get scarier and your heart is beating and it's, yeah, it's it's just like it's wild and frantic in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mercifully, I, I don't I don't have a bunch of those anymore. I used to get them real bad, um, like just just really honestly panic attacks. I, I would just freak the hell out um, and would would just lose the plot until it was over. Now I'd say the anxiety is more like just this like overarching thing in different areas of my life, and I just have to work to to give it the mm-hmm. highs. Do you know what your triggers are? Because I know that's different for everyone as well, and like. For some people, the thought of talking on the radio like you do every day is terrifying and would make people so anxious. So do you know what your triggers are? Yeah, it's interesting. Radio, radio weirdly, has almost never been one for me, which, which yeah. probably sounds weird, but it's yeah. like, it's the most muscle memory thing I do, you know, cause I, cause just because I do it every day. So, so that part doesn't often get rocked by the anxiety, thankfully. Like, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to think, like, you know, what that what that happens to to look like. What about you? Like, like, what's it like over there? See, that's a hard one for me too. Um, I don't really get anxious, um, but I know it's more of an internal thing for me. So if I don't get enough sleep, if I don't eat well, if I don't if I don't exercise for a couple of days, like I start to feel it myself um, from an internal standpoint. I'd say I have a little bit of social anxiety, maybe that same situation where I'll be in a group and I'm like, I don't think these people like me very much. I don't know what I'm doing here. They don't want me here, all of that. And I just kind of get in my own head um, like that. But I feel like I'm still figuring out what my triggers are. Um, I'm not 100% sure yet. So that journey is ongoing for me, I think. That was not fair of me to flip it on you improperly. I, I apologize. <laughs> That's but, okay. uh, yeah, it's like for me, I, I get where you're at with the, with the social anxiety. Like I used to get that real bad, weirdly, yeah. and people always thought that was weird. They're like, "You're on the radio. Like, like, why are you?" And I'm like, "The, yeah. the radio is the least social thing ever." Because <laughs> most for the majority of the time, but well, sorry, the first four or five years I, I was here in Calgary, uh, I did a solo show, so I was literally talking to a microphone in a padded room. 
Um, <laughs> and things only got a little more social when, when I started working with Jerry and then, and then with Jesse later on. Yeah. So it's really not an overly social job. So that, you know, it was such a, a shock to the system sometimes to end up in, in social situations. And I think probably if I, if I had to pinpoint my biggest trigger, it's, it's trying to conjure a vision of what something's going to look like. Um, and then it not lining up with that vision, if that makes sense. Like I'm, I'm a big planner and a big prepper, largely probably because of, of what I do for a living. Like I'm, I'm just always thinking about the next thing and trying to figure out what something's going to look or sound like. And I do that in my personal life all the time. Like I just, I, I'm, I'm so rarely present and, and being present is one of my biggest grapples because I'm always just thinking about the next thing. Like, what's that going to look like? Yeah. What do I need to say in that moment? What do I need to do in that moment? Like, how do I bring it in, in whatever scenario is coming down the road? And I don't spend any time here. I'm always looking up there. And a lot of the time it would make me super anxious and still can. If I go into something with a vision for it and then it doesn't look like that, I'll just start to panic. I'll go like, well, we're not ready. We're not ready. We're not like, this isn't how it looked in my head, everybody. Like, stop. And, and you can't slow it down. And so that, that would probably be my biggest trick. Wow. Thank you for saying that. Oh, my gosh. that I do the exact same thing. I'm such a planner. I plan out, like, my weekends far in advance. I'm like, okay, I have to do this, 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 this. And my coworkers make fun of me for it so much. But I'm like... It's the only way that I can get everything done and fit everything in. But the consequence of that is, like you said, not being in the moment all the time and just always thinking about what I need to do next and what, what is next on the schedule, you know? But yeah, yeah. yeah, I plan. Oh, I plan like crazy. You look at mindful people and it's another case of like, you look at someone and you're like, God, you don't know how good you got it, you know, like they like, you know, I look at people that are like really mindful, really present, um, people who like naturally can meditate and I'm like, God, like (laughs) if you only knew what it was like over here, you know, like, and, and I, I say that somewhat sarcastically, it's like, it, it's really hard if, if you have one of those brains that needs to be like, you know, either preparing or in a lot of cases, Elena too, like, you know, my, my therapist calls them smoke alarms. Um, where, you know, something has meant danger for you before, if you have that kind of brain that's always looking forward, if your brain happens to catch a signal of something that looks like previous trauma of any kind, and it thinks it recognizes what's about to happen, it starts connecting dots like so far down the road, and it doesn't give you any chance to do anything about it in the moment, right? Like you just, it's that fight or flight thing, and you just like, you just freak the hell out in the moment, uh, because not only does it not look like your vision, it looks like something scary that happened one time. And so now like you're kind of getting it from both sides. It's not only not going according to the plan. It's also like, this was really bad the last time it happened. And I think it might be happening again. Yeah. Oh my it's a tornado. God. It really is. It's a <laughs> mental tornado. Like that's the only way I'd explain it to somebody who, do, who doesn't, I know you get it, but like, yeah. you know, for anybody who doesn't, like it's just, your brain literally is just whipping around and you can't stop it when it gets really bad. There's, there's no slowing it down. Yeah. I know a lot of people talk about meditation um, helping them a lot, but I mean, I've never tried it. I feel like I should, but at the same time, I don't know if I could like slow down my brain enough to actually meditate and not think about anything else. Like my brain is firing on all cylinders all the time. Um, just, th- I don't know, thinking about everything. So I don't meditation know. Meditation is, yeah. is this crazy game changer. Um, 
And like, if you, if you can wrap your brain, even like a little bit around it, it's yeah. just, it's wild. Like what a difference it can make. I, I only started probably about, about a year ago, I guess it was maybe, maybe even less than that. It was my girlfriend who, who, who got me into it. Um, yeah. And, and bless her heart for it because like, what a cool tool you, and, and not even in like your wildest moments, just like almost as a preamble, you know, if you, if you can feel like things might have the potential to, to slip off the tracks or, or just as like a daily practice, it's crazy. Like the impact it can have, I'm still really bad at it too, to be honest, but real, it, the funny thing is maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, but the, one of the coolest things I learned about meditation was catching yourself being bad at it actually in a weird backwards way means you're doing good at it. Like meditation mm. really is just like trying to get your brain to sit still for a little while. So you yeah. noticing that like, you know, I can't, I can't seem to sit still for this practice. That actually means like you're getting better at it because if you weren't making note of that and your brain was just going wild all over the place, that would mean you were bad at meditation. Mm. If that makes sense. I know that sounds kind of counterproductive, but, but really just no. like making note of your brain wandering and correcting it and going, no, this is quiet time. This is, this is focus time. That's a W. And that changed my whole look at meditation. I was like, okay. I no longer just think I'm naturally shitty at this, you know? Wow. Okay. I've never heard that before. I've never thought about it like that, but that makes so much sense. Yeah. I feel like I need to try this. It changed the whole way I looked at it. Yeah. I need to try this again. Oh my God. It's so cool. I like that. So cool. I hope you guys loved this short and sweet intro to JD's episode. Tune in again next week for part two. It'll be a little bit longer and we dive a little bit further into his experiences with anxiety and depression. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Feel free to reach out at any time. You can contact me on Instagram and Facebook at StompTheStigmaYYC and you can email me at StompTheStigmaYYC at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you or someone you know would like to come on, I would love to have you share your story, speak your truth, and together we can stomp the stigma.